You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I'm going to have to ask you to look for a trade to another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is full on. It's full on trade season, the listing season, retirement season. I was just joking with you before we started recording that uh, I, I said I shouldn't laugh. First of all, the players are retiring or being delisted. It's obviously sucks for them. But this is the time of year where you look at some of the names uh, being delisted and you're like, oh, that guy's still on the list. That's crazy. Remember when that guy was pretty highly touted as a player and it just never really worked out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just scroll through. Uh, the news, the AFL news right now, and there is a lot going on. Yeah, there is. There's, uh, Jack Watts has just retired. Uh, we talked about um, George Hall and Smith has retired. Riley Knight was delisted by the Crows. Uh, Anthony Miles was delisted up uh, in the Gold Coast as well. Um, lots of, lots of uh, news coming down the pipeline here. And uh, we talked about you know, Brad Crouch maybe going to Geelong now to maybe Port Adelaide. There's, there's stuff just happening all over the shop because we've got no footy to talk about until next week. So there's, uh, there's lots of stuff going on. Yeah, I was watching 360 last night and Robbo started the show. And by the way, I know Robbo gets a lot of shit, but I got to tell you, the guy makes me laugh sometimes. He's just absolutely ridiculous. And he said, uh, but he said, everyone's bored right now. And I got to agree with him. I've been uh, getting to the night and I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? There's no footy on. I'm used to watching footy every single day. There's going to be no footy this weekend. I can't believe it. I hate the bye. And that's not just because I'm a Geelong fan and they can't possibly win after a bye. I just don't like it. We should just be rolling through with the finals. I wish there was finals to talk about this weekend. But yeah, what about the Gold Coast, by the way? Uh, go back a couple of years ago and they were that team that if you were on the fringe at another club and yeah, you got talent and you probably should be playing in the AFL, but you can't quite get a game, it's like, oh, I'll just go to the Gold Coast. And George Holland smith you mentioned Anthony Miles, a couple of guys there that probably thought they were going to the Suns and they were going to get opportunities. And now... Uh, the Gold Coast Suns midfield is just stacked. And the old uh, seek new opportunities at the Gold Coast Suns is no longer a thing. No, it's not. With the, the, that you know, influx of all these young players, they're going to get a pretty high draft pick again this season. Uh, that, I think that sort of run is over, which is great for the competition. It's great for the Suns. It's not great for those players looking for that uh, you know, uh, those games up at the Gold Coast when they've been delisted. But it's good to have a, a team that is, uh, that is strong and uh, getting better up there as well to help try and grow how things uh, look up there. But the, I guess the big news in terms of delistings, it's not a delisting, but Ben Brown has been told by North Melbourne, see you later. Um, he's not a free agent, so he's going. they're just not going to give him a new contract. So he just needs to find a way to another team. They said, go, uh, go work out a trade and uh, we'll send you off. This one is ridiculous. Uh, I know we've spoken about Ben Brown a couple of times, but uh, I cannot figure out for the life of me what the hell North Melbourne are doing with this one. This is He's only 28, first of all. I think he just turned 28, actually. Let me just look at this. He's, yeah, he's not he, even 28. He's not old. I don't know that much. So he's in the prime of his footy career. He's not a bad person. Everyone you hear about him says that he's a great bloke, good around the club. He's always smiling. He's been through some personal stuff this year. We know that. He's played on a team that, let's be honest, flat out sucked. Who in that team do you want with the ball in their hands kicking to the forwards? It was a rough year for tall forwards anyway. Shorter quarters, defensive style of play. 
The guy's kicked 180 goals over the last three seasons prior to this. To make this decision when North Melbourne, I, I, I just it, it makes no sense to me. And the worst thing about it is that they've just projected to everyone that oh, we don't actually want him. So uh, we're going to tank his value absolutely 100%. We're not even going to pretend that we want this guy that next year could come out and kick 50 goals because he's still in the primary of his career. So what we're going to do is just say, we don't want you. We're going to put it on public record. And for any other team that wants him now, why would you give us any value? Because you already know we don't want him. I, I don't understand. This is one of the stupidest list management decisions I can remember because I, I think he's a prime candidate next year to have a bounce back year. I Look, that last point is the major thing to me. Like, why do you just tank any value? Like, create a bidding war. Say, you know, well, we want we want Brown back at the right price. We're open to discussions. He's a guy that's kicked 180 goals over the last three years. Not like this guy's like a piece of shit on the bottom of my shoe. Can you like just somebody, somebody take him? That's what's what they're going out and saying. I think list management and um, yeah, player uh, asset management is so far behind in the AFL. Like in terms of trying to work out the best way to do these things, they are just so far off. Not every team. Some teams have a really, really strong um, idea of how to do this. But the AFL systems are not set up perfectly. But this is not even working within an imperfect system. This is just saying, guys, this is a guy that was an All-Australian a year ago, was he? Or maybe two years ago? Um, to get rid of him. Just, I'll see you later. Not even any sort of negotiation. Not look, And maybe teams come in and say, we want him, we want him. And that drives it up. But they, they've just come out and said no. And it, it's uh, it's bizarre. It just makes you wonder about North Melbourne, and this is completely from an outsider point of view, but it makes you wonder about the club because they're always in the mix for these high-profile players that they want to attract to North Melbourne, and they never get them. And you look at the guys that they have got, Jared Polak being one of them, and it's been a really strange situation with him. On big money, they bring him in. This year, his numbers certainly look good, and we know maybe there's some KPIs that he's not hitting, and that's why he found himself out of the team. But he hasn't been playing. No one knows where his future is going to lie. North Melbourne's cutting all these players I don't understand what keeping Ben Brown around would have done negatively for this team next year with a young group that they're trying to bring through, give them a target to kick to. We know that they uh, have Larky up forward that they really like. I understand that. But I just can't see that keeping Ben Brown uh, around this club would have been a bad thing for them. And I, I think they're just setting themselves up to look stupid next year when he has a big year because the one thing I've said all year, whether it's about the state of the game, whether it's about certain players I just wouldn't be making crazy judgments about players this year because you just don't know what's going on. We know Ben Brown's had some personal stuff as well that may have affected his ability to play, his ability to get in the right frame of mind. So I don't know. I mean, we don't know everything, but on the surface, this just looks like a, this just looks like a shocking move. I, I mean, I'm not normally that strong on it, but when I saw this, I was like, listen, whoever gets this guy is going to be getting a pretty damn good player. And I did speak to uh, Sam Vecini, our friend of the podcast, and he just said, listen, if I was Essendon, I, I don't know, I wouldn't just be trying to swap Danaher for Ben Brown because uh, if you look at health, you look at his ability to kick the football, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that I would disagree with that either. It, to me, some team is going to get a very, very good key forward uh, next year. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, it's it's been a bad year for him. There's no doubt about that with off-field and on-field on stuff. Yeah. But he he is, struggled, uh, for sure, he's, yeah. he's better than this, and he's better than being treated like this. And I'm sure if I was in, and you could say North Melbourne's angling into a rebuild, and they should, and we've been critical of them not doing it sooner. But you don't even have to keep Ben Brown for next season. You don't even have to sign him to a big money deal, but yeah. you just have to approach it in a better way. 
than what they have done here. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it, it ends up working out in their favor and in Brown's favor, and everyone's happy and everyone has a laugh. But at this point, it, it doesn't look great. Um, for teams who actually matter at the moment, um, some decisions that need to be made with some of these uh, players, Jaron Geary, uh, got a decision in terms of uh, birth of his child or, or playing finals. There's a couple of Bulldogs players in a similar boat with Easton Wood and uh, Josh Bruce as well with those uh, impending births coming up. So there's some interesting decisions that need to be made by some of these uh, players. I can't possibly make any, uh, any uh, judgment here uh, because I don't... Uh, I can't really say. I can't really say what I would do if I was in this situation. You probably can give an answer to this better than me. Although, then again, uh, no, no offense, but I don't think you've had to make the the choice between potentially an AFL flag and a child. But what what do you think? What would you do? I mean, it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? It has to be each to their own. Yeah, yeah. I think again, I think whatever the decision is from the player, you just you just respect it. And yeah, as a selfish football supporter, you go, "Geez, geez, I wish they'd play," but I don't think you can be. Uh, critical if they don't and if that's what they want to do if they want to take those that week off few days off miss the game because of a birth then that is well within their rights as it would be for literally anybody uh, performing their job you know the, having leave for the birth of a child or you know, having a paternity leave or whatever it is that they need to do uh, whatever the decision is whether they have the blessing to play or they choose to play or um, yeah, it's their fourth kid and they, they say, well, maybe I'm not going to be around for this one at the birth, whatever it is. I think you just have to respect that personal decision and it could have an impact. It could swing things definitely either way with any of these players, but I don't think anyone needs to be critical or you know praising them for putting the club first or putting the family, whatever the decision is, it's their decision and I think we uh, support it either way. Oh, well said. Well said. That's that's I'm very a, well put. I'm a statesman. I, yeah, I, I couldn't have I couldn't have put that any better myself. That's fantastic. There's no room for anyone to judge about what uh, these players might do in this situation. I do feel a little bit bad for Gary if it came down to this though. He only played one final uh, in his career way back in I think it was 2011, the last time they played. So I'm sure he'd be pretty desperate to play. But uh, then again, uh, I, I'm sure he'd be winning either way. I tell you what people can debate, though, and they can argue with, and they can argue with our All-Australian teams, Kane, because we gave oh, out yeah. the first nine players each yesterday. We're going to round out the remaining 13 players today. So let's uh, let's go straight into the forwards. We'll, we'll get uh, we'll get to the, the mids and the bench later. Um, on your half-forward line, how uh, this, is, uh, this is a real interesting to me, these forward lines. I'm, I'm super interested to see what you've done here. I think mine is, I didn't go this strong yesterday. But uh, I already know that we can't actually have perfectly the same forward line because you've already got a player in your team in a, a different position. So it's not going to be exactly the same. But I will go ahead and say that I'm very, very comfortable with my uh, forward six. I, I think that this is this is an excellent forward six. I don't think there can be too many complaints about it. So I've got Petrarca on a half forward line, Charlie Dixon, center half forward, Dustin Martin on the other half forward line. Then I've got Liam Ryan, Tom Hawkins, Tom Papley. In the other forward pocket. Well, you are you are real real close to what I've done there. So I've got on the half forward line Petrarca. We talked about him so much being a midfielder who plays up forward and kicks goals. So again, this is not chucking a midfielder who never plays yeah, in right. the forward. It's not, it's not putting Lockie Neal in the forward pocket, right? This is a guy that had plans, spends plenty of time at half forward and kicks goals. So he's there, no worries. Charlie Dixon, center half forward, exactly the same for me. A guy that you know, plays deep, can play up. Big, imposing mark. Yes, huge targets. Kicked lots of goals on the best team in the league. Yeah, he's got to be in. So he's there. My other half forward, uh, I had Nat Fife there. 
for the very same reason of Petrarca. Like, he is a midfielder, sure. But he's played a ton of time up forward, and he goes down there when they need marks. He starts in the forward line at center bounces plenty of times as well. He is a guy that is equally adept at playing in the forward line or playing in the midfield. I could have had Fife in the guts and put Dustin Martin in that position as well because he does the same thing. Like those guys who, and he's been excellent for this Fremantle team and he can go up and do it in the forward line as well. And then my full forward line, Kane, it's the same. Liam Ryan, Tom Hawkins, Tom Papley. I don't think we could avoid Papley there, a guy that was in contention for the Coleman medal as a small forward and was playing the role of a key forward lead-up target. Hawkins, the number one uh, forward in terms of uh, goals and goals assists and score involvements and just doing so much really at this point of his career. And then Liam Ryan, I did debate to have someone else in that spot. But Ryan's kicked a lot of goals. He's a beautiful kick of the footy as well, field kick. He's done quite a bit around the grounds. And again, you're trying to reward a team that's been quite successful this season. So I did have Liam Ryan there as well. So uh, we're uh, almost uh, bang on exactly the same. Yeah, I thought the full forward line in particular made sense. And by the way, we haven't really mentioned the fact that Hawkins, at, at this age, 32, wins a Coleman medal, his first Coleman, clearly been one of the more consistent uh, forwards in the game and, and underrated, I think, as well. Particularly, let me say, by Geelong fans. Anytime you go to a Geelong game, the Geelong fans just rip on Tom Hawkins endlessly. It's It's been an absolute joke for a long time. But I'm not sure whether there's been a player that has kicked... The most goals, had the most goal assists, and also the most score involvements in the same season. I'd be I'd be surprised, but it just goes to show the type of season he had. So obviously he was a lock. Uh, as far as the small forwards, and just, without- on, on on Hawkins, I, I've just you talk about the criticism. I think that so much of that criticism comes from people who hearken back to. Tony Lockett, Jason Dunstall, Gary Ablett, you know, to a lesser degree, um, you, you move into the you know, Gary Lyon or you know, David Neitz. So these sort of big forwards who yeah. kick tons of goals, and they judge them that way. Why aren't you kicking seven? Why aren't you kicking 100 goals? Why aren't you Buddy Franklin? Why aren't you Brendan Favola? That's, that's not what the game is anymore. So they get judged on that way. Oh, Hawkins, he's won the Coleman. He's kicked 30 goals. It's useless. Right. Back in the day, they'd kick 150. And I think, you know, where's John Longmire kicking a ton? Like, even even Longmire kicking 100. This isn't a full forwards arsehole. Like, what are you doing? I think people are... Uh, uh, their valuation of players is skewed by the type of play or the full forwards and the way that the game was played when they were growing up. So that's in their heads. So if you're not doing that, then it's not as good. And I think some of that criticism comes that way. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the projections of what uh, Hawkins would have kicked if you added the extra four minutes per quarter and then plus the five extra games as well. So that projects out to, he's kicked 42 goals in the season, that projects out to be 68, which actually is very much in line with what we've seen over the last sort of six, seven years as far as uh, Coleman medal winners. So uh, the 42 is obviously a very low number. And, and actually, I mean, he ran away with it in the end. I mean, he was 10 goals clear of Charlie Dixon down on 32. So it goes to show, despite the fact that he upsets his grandma by being a little bit unselfish, Tom Hawkins said. She wants him to kick a few more goals. Uh, he's clearly been a pretty good player. But the small forwards is what I wanted to talk about here, Josh, because we had a decision. And it's funny. We spoke about this a, a few weeks ago on the podcast. And we actually didn't have Liam Ryan. We had Charlie Cameron. And Charlie Cameron obviously hurt his knee. He dropped off his form towards the end of the season. There's no doubt about that. So it was really Liam Ryan, Tom Papley, or Dan Butler. Now, I'm not saying you can't possibly have Butler on your bench. But for the reason for me why I put these two guys in ahead of Butler, first of all, the shots on goal, and we know that Papley at times has been a little bit inaccurate. He certainly was on the weekend. But Papley was actually second in the AFL for shots on goal, only behind Hawkins with 66. You compare that to a guy like Dan Butler, who only had 42. The goals were very even. Butler 27, Papley 26, Liam Ryan 25. 
Uh, the big thing for Dan Butler was the fact that he was by far the best pressure forward. So when you look at pressure acts, you look at tackles inside 50, Dan Butler blows the other two away. But the big thing that stood out for me was Butler kicked 21 of his 27 goals between rounds 2 and 10. So in those nine games, he kicked 21 goals and he had 38 tackles. From rounds 11 to 18, he only kicked six goals and he only had 20 tackles there. So he dropped off big time uh, towards the end of the season. And not surprisingly, that coincided with the Saints going from top four and at, at for a period looking like potentially they could finish top two to drop in some games that they probably shouldn't have dropped. And in the end, uh, looking in some danger of missing out on the eight. So uh, Dan Butler's been huge, but that's the reason why he missed out for me. I don't think you can really argue too much about Papley being in that team. We'll see because the teams are announced tonight. So it'll be interesting for us to go back over our teams tomorrow and see exactly where we're at. Um, but yeah, I don't think you can argue too much with Papley. Butler was the other one that I was debating there. And, and I did have Butler in initially, and then I did switch him out for Ryan yesterday. Um, yeah, I think that drop-off was important. And so many of his goals were those goals from two meters out. I'd love to see if there's a, a distance meter on you know, what his average distance of goals. I reckon it'd be almost one of the lowest in the league for how many he got sort of over the back or within 10 meters. And maybe that takes a little bit of that. But the pressure for him was massive. But he did have a drop-off over the you know, the last 50% of the season where I think Ryan started to get better as well. And maybe that's a little bit of... Um, recency bias in putting him in there but I, I still think that again the the, the numbers are, are relatively similar across across the season I just think that maybe the level of difficulty of what some of what Liam Ryan was doing was a little bit higher so that that's the similar thought process I had to you in terms of putting uh putting him in there over Butler but Butler was real close to me in that position should we uh should we flick it over to the last seven guys now and then we can sort of just you know, have a, an idea of, of our whole team and, and go from there uh, I will go with the... Uh, so I'll start with the midfield uh, and then I'll, I'll move on to my bench. So in the ruck, I did have Nat Nui. And then I had probably the two easiest selections I had to make in the whole All-Australian team, Lockie Neal and Travis Boak in there as well. So Nick Nat, Lockie Neal and Travis Boak. And then on the bench, and this is where it gets really interesting and I, I spoke about this yesterday. This is kind of where you can just throw in whoever you want there. You don't have to worry about positions too much. Generally... Uh, I lean towards putting in midfielders there because of the impact they've had on the season. There's so few uh, positions there that uh, there's just so many guys that really deserve a spot. So I had uh, Jack Steele, Taylor Adams, Clayton Oliver, and uh, I had Dangerfield as well there on the bench. So Nick Nat, Lockie Neal, Travis Boke, then Steele, Adams, Oliver, and Dangerfield on the bench. Interesting. Okay, so my Ruckman, I went with Max Gorn in mm. that one. Um, I just think that, look, he... He carries such a big load for that Melbourne team. He, yeah, they both have a big impact in centre bounces, but I think Gorn has more of an impact in terms of his ability to take a grab. Uh, look, it was real close, obviously. And that's, you know, people were complaining, why isn't Todd Goldson in, in the squad? Like, do you really want three Ruckman in the squad? Like, I, I, I don't think he was going to get, I would have had Nat Nui and Gorn ahead of Goldstein anyway. So I can understand the rationale between, between not having Goldstein in that squad because I don't think he was ever going to make the team. And it was between those two for me. So I went with Maxi Gorn there. Um, Lockie Neal, you talk about yeah, we pencil guys in or pen guys in in the in the halfback line and in the back line. Uh, that was the that was the easiest one. I went straight to that position, just put Lockie Neal on the ball. Like, that was as straightforward as it was for me. I put Bonton Pally in the in the midfield there as well. So I've got Gorn, Neal, and Bonton Pally as those three guys. And then on my bench, similar uh, Jack McRae. I had Paddy Dangerfield. I had Jack Steele, and I had Andrew Gaff. In, uh, in in my bench units there. I debated having yeah, Gaff uh, on the wing instead of Boke, yeah, just because he's played so much footy there, but I, I stuck him in on the bench. I was 
Yeah, going to and fro between Chuck and Darcy Moore in there as a as a bench yeah, defender, but I think just getting more of those midfielders in there is probably how you want to utilize your bench. Yeah, so I went with Nick Nanui, basically because uh, Nick Nat over Gorn, that is, just because his clearance numbers are just absolutely insane. And I, I do agree, you know, Gorn, and I don't think he's been as good as he has in previous no, years. I think fair. obviously he had a few injuries, there's no doubt, uh, through the season, some knee issues. Uh, and I, again, I think the compressed fixture hurt the bigger guys more than anyone. But Nick Nat uh, was in the top 10 in the AFL for clearances with 89. Uh, he was sixth in the AFL for center clearances. And he's hit out to advantage rate uh, just a tick under 30% as well is is very, very, very high uh, for a guy that uh, you know just has such a huge influence on West Coast in the midfield. And I've watched too many games this year where I think that the Eagles are in huge trouble and then Nick Nat just goes, listen, I'm just going to tear this one apart for the next 10, 15 minutes single-handedly and we're going to win this game. So that's that's ultimately why I went with Nick Nat. Uh, Dangerfield, is, was there any... Question marks over whether, over whether you would put him in there, uh, given that you know his raw numbers, his disposal numbers down a little bit this year. Spent more time up forward. What was the thought process there? Yeah, look, I wasn't sure what to do, and this goes into what I said yesterday about your your namesake t- saying that Dangerfield was the best player in the competition by a mile. And I said I don't think he's had that good of a season. And yeah, for both of us, he hasn't made our uh, starting eighteen here. And I, he was a guy that was you know, potentially yeah not going to uh, to make my team. It was uh, it was close. From him there, but you know when you look at the other guys, I'm not worried necessarily about you know just pure disposal numbers because a lot of it's impact, it's moving forward as well. It's just you know, having little bursts of uh, of you know, great, really hard, willing your team to get over the line, which is what he was able to do. Yeah, if you said maybe you know I'd put someone like how close were you to putting Blitzarves in? So I was pretty close, just for versatility of what he's been able to do. Like great play down back, moved into the ruck at times. He was real close to me. Um, for, for me to put put him in, and I was considering even going with him over Dangerfield there, but I just think those elite levels of um, yeah, influence that Dangerfield was able to have uh, put him in uh, over someone like a Blitzarves or a Clayton Oliver, who was pretty close for me as well. Yeah, Blitzarves, I reckon, can blame Chris Scott for not getting an All-Australian gig uh, this year because I reckon at around around seven or around eight, I had I probably would have had Blitzarves and Harris Andrews as my two key backs. I thought Blitzarves was having just a monster season in the back line. And then he's really just played in so many different positions. And I think he's been fantastic. I mean, I think he's a chance to win the catch BNF. But when I was looking at the team, I was like, well, I, I don't really know where to put him. I mean, I, I certainly I could just slot him on the bench and, and that would be fine. But uh, I think the number that stands out for me when I look at Dangerfield uh, purely at the numbers and, and people – you know, for for good reason, I think. You know, point to his disposal efficiency at times. But the number that stands out for me, when you look at the top five guys for meters gained total for the season, uh, Jack Lukosius, number one, but he only had 70 contested possessions on the season. Jane Short, second with 74. Brody Smith, third with 68. Jake Lloyd uh, was fifth with 104. And then Dangerfield came in fourth for meters gained in the AFL, but he had 198 contested possessions. And I think that just outlines the influence he has as a guy that not only wins the clearances, 
but bursts away and then gains you 50 metres. And you can question uh, at times how he uses the ball, uh, and I think that that's absolutely valid. But that, that to me, I mean, that's a ridiculous stat when you look at the, the metres gained. He's just not the typical player that should get you the metres gained that he does, and that's what sets him apart. He's got a contested possession rate of 55%. And in terms of looking yeah. at, at the midfielder designation, in terms of you know who's the leading metres gained, like he leads it, and then the, the next guy is Zach Merritt, and his contested possession rate's under 30 um, yeah, yeah and then you've got Lockie Neal, who's at 46, and then Lockie Hunter, who's at 24. So they're, they're the top four midfielders in terms of metres gained. And the fact that he's you know, getting most of his possessions contested and still outgaining everybody, whilst, while also um, yeah, getting few, way fewer disposals than those other four. You know, 21 and a half disposals for Dangerfield versus 26 for Merritt, 28 for Neal, and 26 for Hunter is a phenomenal effort. That just means when he gets it, like he is gaining so much territory and he is uh, he's getting the tough balls. Well, now, sometimes that, that disposal efficiency is rough. Like it's under 62%. That's obviously a really low number. But those other numbers do uh, do, do really um, yeah, add up to some, uh, some pretty impactful play. I'm looking at these numbers and I'm, I know Lockie Hunter's, yeah, we talk about him as a wingman. We got a guest trying to come on the podcast, yeah. by the way, in the background. What, yeah. what, is, what is going on? He's not happy with your all Australian selections? I, I don't know. Look, he was happy with my backline yesterday because he sat in the room as I was recording. Good old, <laughs> uh, old ruckus in here. But he's, uh, he's outside the room. I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's after at the moment, but he's, uh, he's not happy about something. But, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. He's just got sick and tired of me talking and wants me to wrap it up. But yeah, I'm looking at Lockie Hunter's numbers here as well. Like his, He's uh, you know, out of those top four, most score involvements per game. Um, you know, big meters gained as well, 26 disposals. I think if he hadn't missed as many games as he as he did, he might have been in that 40-man squad as well if they were looking at, at pure wingman, which they don't generally tend to do. Uh, hell of a season for Jack Steele. He rates really highly for score involvements across the league. All the clearance numbers are really good as well. So Jack Steele really deserved it. And I thought uh, Taylor Adams, when you look at the injuries that the Pies have had yeah. with... Uh, obviously, Pendlebury's been out for an extended period of time. Adam Trelaw as well. Uh, I just had to put Taylor Adams in there for the way that he's just carried the load. And we've spent a lot of time talking about the Pies, but Taylor Adams, man, he, he has been unbelievable. I guess the question I had for you is, who was the toughest out out of the guys that missed out? Ooh, um, there was a few that I was debating, and it's probably Butler because I did have him in before we yeah. recorded, and then oh, I took him out. So it's probably him just based on that alone. Um, yeah, I'd say it's him. I'd say yeah, I'd I'd say that that's probably who it is. Who was yours? Uh, Harris Andrews and uh, Braden Maynard. I, I thought doing the out of doing the whole team, the back line was by far the most difficult to uh, to, to figure out. Just the back six and. Yeah, you know, I, again, I, I look back at it and I say, well, yeah, I could easily swap a couple of players there and I'd feel totally fine with it. So, yeah, Harris Andrews and Braden Maynard, probably, I think, the uh, the stiffest to miss out on, on my team there. Uh, what about captain? Did, did you, do you care about the captain? I, I don't I, really I don't care. And not, even, you, not even the slightest. Do you have a, a... Who would be the captain then? It's probably... Let's have a look. I'm looking at this. It's probably going to be Dangerfield, would be my guess. Um... Yeah, I'd say it's probably going to be Dangerfield. That would, that would, or Fife. Yeah, it's, what do they base it on? The best captain or the best player who's a captain for his team or the player who's had the best season who's a captain? Like, what are they, what are they judging it on? Who knows? They had Buddy Franklin as captain a few years ago and he's never captained anyone in his life, I don't think. So, uh, I, I don't know what they go with. I think Travis Boak would be a pretty cool captain. I yeah. think he's deserved it. I know he's, um, obviously moved on there with Port Adelaide, but, uh, for a guy to to have the career that he's had and then you know have a career best season 
at the, this age, uh, I think it's pretty cool. I'd be fine um, with Travis Boak getting the, the honour, I reckon. Yeah, I can see I can see him. I could see Maxi Gorn if he made it. I could see Dangerfield yeah. being named uh, the, the captain of that squad. Just looking at some other names, if there's anyone... Who else? I could see them. I could see them throwing it on someone like even Tom Hawkins. I don't even know why. I, I could oh, see I'd be happy about that. I could. I could see them doing it. I, I, but again, I, what's the criteria? It means nothing. I, I don't think they. Realistically, I don't think they should have uh, a captain. What, what do you think about the idea? Which I, I saw floated somewhere. Yes, I don't remember who it was. But having a first and second team all Australian. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we need to go down that path. Uh, we got a forty-man squad anyway, and. I don't know. I would just keep it at uh, the one team. There's 22 blokes there. It, it creates good debate anyway. You take that out of it, then what? You're going to be debating who would be the the 45th to 66th ranked players in the league? I don't think we need to be stretching it out to do that. Again, it feels just uh, feels just a little bit like we're trying to trying to do too much American stuff here. We can, we can settle with the first team and debate the guys that are stiff to miss out. I think that's what makes it special. No, one, no one's going to look back and say, oh, well, he was an All-Australian second team member in 2020 no one cares about that do they i don't know we'll have, we'd have to try it out to see whether people actually <laughs> people actually care but we're going to see all these things get announced tonight i think rising star is out tonight yeah. as well so we'll uh, recap all of that tomorrow we'll see let's see which one of our teams is most accurate i didn't pick mine to be accurate based on yeah, what the selectors will pick because I tried to make it more realistic team. But let's see which one of us, uh, how many out of the 22 we actually get in compared to the actual team tonight. And then we'll uh, review all of the other awards. Kane, I'll speak to you about that tomorrow. I look forward to it. I reckon we should put our teams up on uh, Twitter as well and people can tear us apart if they don't like uh, what we've got. And then, uh, as you said, tonight, see how they go. If I don't have 22 out of 22, I'll be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't be, but let's uh, let's see how it goes. Go and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Go leave us a five-star review as well. And today, I will leave you with a shout-out to Thomas Bug.